0: Hey we are as as uh Tim had said we're 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 in Galatians five sixteen. I'm gonna stop at twenty five today, but uh didn't have enough time to pull the Bible reading up, so that was that's okay. Um, it's a it's a strangely or a staggeringly powerful picture that Paul paints uh in in, in this in these verses, um, that if our hearts actually grab the picture that Paul is painting, there is just an immense amount of of freedom and peace uh, to be found in what's being said here. But at the same time, I also think that this is a passage that is the capacity to be applied uh, completely inappropriately uh, at, at times and has been. Perhaps it's, I don't know, perhaps I was trying to get my head around this, perhaps it's not so much that it's being applied appropriately or inappropriately uh, as it is that we just don't get. It's a picture of reality that Paul is painting here. The Christian life is like this, is is, is what he's saying. And the, and the works of the flesh, the, the, the legalist or, or the licentious person, their life or the outworking of their life looks like this. And so in this passage, Paul, he's going after our hearts to say which 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 picture do you fit which picture is you is yours a picture of the of the nature of gospel growth the the fruit of the spirit or is yours a picture of the work of the flesh um so that's today so let's hey let's pray and and we'll get into it and 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 see if we can get a clear view of it i hope so hey father god uh right now our prayer is that uh in your loving grace Uh, your truth for us would stand out. That your spirit would illuminate our hearts to your grace in ways that shape us, in ways that transform us uh, to the likeness of your son. And uh, would this be for your glory and our deep joy. Spirit, lead our hearts and our minds in truth that that shapes our lives as we read and as we learn from uh, your word today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here's the story so far, just in, case you're one of, just in case you're one of our regulars that come every five or six weeks, or if you're here uh, visiting for the first time, here's the, here's the story so far of Galatians. To be a Christian, this is what Paul is telling us, to, to be a Christian means that you have heard and trusted that the gospel uh, declares, the, uh, declares something over you because of the work of the work of Jesus that is applied to your lives, we have the just judge of the universe, God, declaring us, this is what is declared, that was a real clumsy sentence, wasn't it? Uh, That we are holy, that we are spotless, that we are righteous in his sight. We're justified is, is what we learn. And at the same time, we have a father in heaven who has given us the Holy Spirit to, that confirms our place in the family. And the reason we know that is because we now cry, Abba, Father. We, we speak to God in personal terms. We call him Dad. We have been adopted with a sonness, we learnt, that gives us the same access to, to the father that Jesus had. It doesn't make us the same as Jesus gives us the same access to the Father. Not only have we been forgiven by the judge, but we are loved by the Father. Those two things holding together. And Paul has said the the experience of these realities, the truth of God's love uh, toward us in Jesus, that experienced reality, that becomes the fuel, that becomes the motive of The motive for our uh, continued transformation and he's saying to us that grace is a more powerful grip on our hearts, that grace is a more powerful transforming motive in our hearts uh, than the law ever will be or can be. And we came to the conclusion last week, amongst other things, that this experience of having been loved by God in Jesus is so profoundly redefining and satisfying and freeing that we just live in glad submission to God's design for our lives as we continue uh, to be supported and and maintained in that by the the miraculous work of the Spirit. We saw that. The miracle that's going on in your life is that you were taken from death... and and, and rebellion and hostility to God and taken into life, new life, love and affection for God. And Paul says, you see these miracles going on all around you. And that work, that way that you became a Christian, it was the work, the miraculous work of the Spirit, that continues, that's what holds you as a Christian. Uh, That was the conclusion that we came to last week. It's probably the conclusion we've come to every week, um, which is good. Now, the major problem, here we go, the major problem or the conflict that arises, you know, I keep trying to turn that thing away, but I know I need it, that arises in the life of the Christian is that as this new desire finds uh, its home in us, it, it finds its home at the same address where the old desires still live. The old desires are like squatters. They have no intention of being evicted nor do they have any intention on, on changing how they behave in in the house, uh, or ha- how the house is uh, projected out to the street, how they treat the house. So while faith uh, brings us peace and hope, a deep joy at one level, you know, we've talked about it, we're justified and we're adopted. It also starts a civil war in us. Just wanted to get an Avengers plug in there, um, in your heart, as the existing. Uh, resident desires of the flesh kind of flex up against the new invading desires of the spirit. It, it's a peace that actually brings a war. And this is why the biblical writers are just constantly talking about, how, how, about joy being found in, in trial, in hardship, in, in suffering... They're not, they're not wishing that you would go through, you know, uh, personal suffering, you know, whatever that, physical or, or health or that. What they're talking about at times is not just physical, but the spiritual uh, war of being a Christian. Um, the war of the soul. Paul looked at it in Galatians 3, 4. He said, "'Did you suffer so much in vain?' And we looked at that to say it wasn't necessarily the physical suffering, the persecution of, of losing your job or, 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 or being excommunicated by your family, but, but the suffering of having sin dealt with. Do you know? The examining of your heart that is actually painful. Where you go, yes, I am a sinner. Yet, yeah, yeah, yes, this is at odds we've got, and the Spirit says that's got to die. You found your identity in it previously, no longer. That must die. That's not easy. I don't care what you say. The law is always easier. Tick boxes is always easier than than work on your soul. I love Augustine's quote. When he became a Christian, he said it did a gentle violence on my soul, and it will continue to do a gentle violence. Uh, on your soul. There's a war in the soul. And you know what? That should encourage you. You should be like, oh, and this is why the Christian writers are like, it's joy because it's only the Christian that wrestles like that. It's only the Christian that suffers like that. That is telling you that you are genuinely saved. The, the, The Spirit of God is at work in your heart. The suffering, the wrestling. It's only the heart that is at war that goes through the pain of dethroning idols, uh, which Paul in this uh, passage refers to as over-desires. The the word desire there is better translated over-desires. Over-desires of the flesh. And as we dethrone them with a greater uh, desire of Jesus, a greater satisfier of Jesus, that's the wrestle. The legalist's heart... Uh, has an over-desire on rule-keeping for defining themselves through their goodness, do you see? That's, that's what they push after, that's what they pursue, the licentious, because just keeping these categories that we've been speaking in, and the licentious heart has an over-desire to, to find meaning uh, through self-discovery and de- de- defining themselves as their own God. They, that's what they pursue, that's what their heart seeks to, to find meaning in. And these hearts know nothing of the war that is raging in the Christian heart because they're just simply maintaining the squatters. They're just simply feeding the squatters that are there. The resident over-desires of the flesh that take the good things that God has given us to to serve us and they turn them into gods which we in turn feel enslaved to and must serve for for our meaning and our identity. And that's what Paul's talking about there in verse 17. The gospel has brought peace between you and God, but it has unleashed a war in your heart. It, is, it has unleashed a conflict uh, uh, against things. The spirit comes in against the over desires that rest in your heart that want to turn good things into God's. They want to make God's out of experience. God's out of our achievement. Uh, God's out of our environment. That we've, heard. and the Spirit comes in and says, um, "We are at odds about who is to be worshipped, and, and and made much of." And it is to that war that Paul now says that the Christians have been given the resource to to actually win, to continually go on in winning that war, to change the resident desires of their hearts. And that resource is the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit is totally unique uh, to the Christian, completely unparalleled and unsurpassed in its experience and its resource. And here's the thing about the Holy Spirit when it's at work in your life. It, it has an inevitable, an unavoidable outcome from the war that rages. As it sits, as it is at conflict, what it is actually doing Is cultivating and nurturing growth in you. There is not no growth in the Christian life comes about without the struggle. It's not magic, not sprinkling fairy dust over you. He's dealing with idols. He's dealing with deep seated things that want to dethrone Jesus in your life. That's what's going on. So, so most wars lead to death. This war leads to life. You see? Go home. That's all you need to know. Now you pay me for more than 15 minutes. That's what I keep telling myself. In verses 16 there, Paul unloads a promise that stands over this whole passage. You get this promise. you You get the whole book of Galatians. You get this passage for sure. It stands over the whole passage and there's this kind of parallel verse that he backs up, the promise in verse 16, he backs up in verse 18 with a statement of reality. But I say, verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Statement of reality, if you are led by the Spirit, you are no longer under the law. Verse 18 is just another way of describing a Christian. As I said, it's a statement of reality. A Christian is led by the Spirit. That's what makes a Christian a Christian. They became a believer through the supernatural work of the Spirit and now they're being sustained and grown and nurtured by the miraculous supernatural work of the Spirit. The law is not their means of approval before God any longer, but rather they are in a relationship with God enabled, empowered by the Spirit. Verse 16 is this wonderful promise. But here's the thing. I think too often, I don't know how we do this, but we do this. We misread the promise as a negative command. Too often this passage is read like to walk in the spirit means to not gratify uh, the desires of the flesh. And so we're we're focusing on the not... uh, so we've got things that we're not to do, stuff that we're not to do. This is not telling you that walking by the Spirit is you working harder uh, at being less worldly. It's not you working harder at not doing stuff. That, that's the total opposite of what Paul's been saying through this whole book. That That's legalism. That's legalism that results in the character traits in, in this passage that are listed uh, between verses 19 and 24 and saying, if I don't do some of these, I'm okay. And if I do some of these, I'm okay. I'm stepping away from my mic. It takes pictures of realities and turns them into checklists. And Paul has not put these two things in here as checklists. Okay? You know, put them on a little plaque and whack them up on your wall, and each day you get out of bed and go, "Oh yeah, I did more joy, I did more peace, I did." Oh yeah, I'm good. That's no, that's not what's going on. Paul is saying, "Hey, if you walk by the Spirit, that is, if you are led, uh, let the Spirit shape what is desirable, what is beautiful, what is satisfying. You simply won't. You simply can't." gratify the over-desires of the flesh, the resonant desires that are there trying to have their way. You can't do it. You won't turn good things into gods. You just won't do it. This is a promise. It's not a negative command. It's a promise. That's how the war's fought. It's not in your abilities, but by allowing the spirit to have more access to your heart, to instruct your heart on what is desirable. This doesn't mean that you're some kind of helpless bystander, but what it means, as we have said all along, that every minute of every hour, of every day, of every month, you are actively praying. You are actively engaged in spirit of the living God, spirit of Jesus. Grow grow me in your grace. Make my standard of beauty be what your standard of beauty is. Make my desires your desires, or your desires, my desires, whichever way that makes sense. Let me walk as as you walk. To walk by the Spirit indicates that you, you need to yield to the Spirit every day, every day in every environment, whether that's at work, whether that's uh, at, at, at home, in your marriage, whether that's out on the basketball court, the football ground, uh, wherever it is, you need to yield to The Spirit. And the word walk here has a sense of making your life practice like the one you're following. So here Paul is saying, let your heart desire what the Spirit desires. That's the walk. The walk of the Spirit. I am going to walk as the Spirit walks. More metaphors. That's the way the Christian deals with their sin. That's the way the Christian goes to war with the flesh. That's the way the Christian doesn't gratify the flesh. It's not by simply saying no to stuff. I have not yet met one single person, stand up if this is you, that can continually say no and always win that argument. If if you have, I'm only referencing from my own experience, if you have been able to continually say no to, to, to something that wants to grip your heart and tear you back to legalism or license and you've won that conversation every time, stand up, we'll clap you and we'll worship you like Jesus. No, seriously. Because he's the only person who's done it. The way you grow in the Christian life, the way you advance is to say yes to the work the desire of the spirit if you think you're going to do it by saying no all the time that that's just you rolling into legalism that's just you saying i'm my own god that's just you saying i can do it you you need a more satisfying desire you need a greater promise you need to say yes to something you can't just say no and live in a vacuum doesn't work never has What does the Spirit do above all things? The Spirit's role and function is to say, look at Jesus. The Spirit says, worship Jesus, adore him, have an over-desire for Jesus, if that's even possible. Probably not. You cannot desire him enough. Jesus, when he was talking in his farewell discourse in chapters 14 to 16 uh, in John's Gospel, it, has, it gives us the most extensive teaching about the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit, what the, what the Spirit will do. One of the things that Jesus says, uh, when the Holy Spirit comes into the world, uh, John sixteen fourteen, he will glorify me. The Spirit in the, tri- in the Trinity has often been talked of as the humble pile of the day. He's always pointing at Jesus. Now look at me, look at Jesus. And so it comes into your heart. And that's, that's the role. That's what is going on there. So while the flesh is set on glorifying and over-desiring, yearning for all kinds of created things, uh, all kinds of conditions and relationships to, to build substance and meaning on, the Spirit comes in and wants to make much of and glorify Jesus. Can, can you see why the conflict's there? But can you see why you're going to win that conflict? If you walk in the Spirit, the Spirit longs to show us Jesus and conform us to his beauty and his character. Essentially, the Spirit seeks to grow your experience of salvation and nurture that deep heart transformation that took place in that moment. To bring us back to remembering where our true salvation lies, not in the desires of the flesh, but in a life connected to Jesus which is a life in the Spirit. And here's why you're going to win that war if you walk in the Spirit, because this is the same, uh, carefully, the same power that enabled Jesus' ministry, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that brought your dead heart to life. That is working in you, pointing you to Jesus, saying he's more desirable and how you overcome the flesh. That's the resource at, at your disposal, and Paul kind of uses, as he moves on, he uses two mixed metaphors to paint a picture of what of what kind of uh, growth that conflict, that war produces uh, in a or the lack of that war produces in a person, particularly one who walks by the Spirit. The growth that is pictured there is fruit for those. Um, for those who walk in the Spirit. And then the other metaphor that Paul uses is is works. And that's just the continued doing what you're already doing, the continued doubling down on what exists. Works as a means of salvation. Why the mixed metaphors? Why fruit and works? Why not fruit and weeds? Well... Because the Christian life is fundamentally one of organic change. That's what Paul's trying to say. There's change and it's cultivated in the environment of your heart that inevitably, slowly, mysteriously even, but unavoidably produces life that is distinguishable from what is normative human practice. And we call that distinguishing characteristics, the fruit of of the spirit. That's the character practice it produces. Uh, The work of the spirit is an organic, uh, transformative living thing. That's why the metaphor is botanical. Never used that word before. While the work while works is a metaphor that describes the continued, unchanged over desire of the heart to find satisfaction, its salvation in our experiences, in our achievements, uh, in our environments, the things that we build ourselves—good or bad—they are the works of the flesh. And you know what? What's very interesting is if we if we were to uh, go through the the works of the flesh, roughly half of those works of the flesh. Uh, are the outworking of relational dysfunctionality of the legalist, the religious person, the moralist. And roughly half of those works of the flesh are the outworkings of the relational dysfunction and and, and destruction of the licentious person, the person who says, I'm my own God, I can do whatever I like. Now, Paul is not saying here, don't have wonderful experiences. He's not saying never eat tasty food, uh, make trips to the Maldives, a sample aged wine, never experience the intimacy of sex, or uh, don't try and achieve or, or attain anything, don't strive for that degree, don't, don't go after that job, don't try and own that house. That's not what Paul's saying. These are all good things until they become over-desires. Then they destroy relationships. They become works of the flesh. Firstly, uh, they destroy relationships because they will compete with the Spirit uh, to make much of Jesus. So in that sense, it will destroy our relationship with the Father. And secondly, uh, the works of the flesh, these over-desires for these things, will destroy our relationships with each other because they will mean more And they will will become dependent on how other people interact with them. Why why do we get so mad uh, at at people that we love and say cruel things? Because someone we love has kept us from or held us up from an an over-desire that we want. Why why do we become workaholics at the expense of our families? Because achievement has become the over-desire of our hearts. Why do we become addicted to substance, to sex, because experience has become an over-desire and we will lie, cheat and steal to obtain it. Because without these things, we feel empty, we feel unfulfilled. The, the, the works of the flesh are filling a space in our life that can only really be filled by the Spirit. And the Spirit keeps saying, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. know that old song? Corny old song that we don't sing anymore because we've got cool New Hill songs? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Find in Him love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, which is a character trait, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Find those beautiful character attributes in Him. And let the spirit nurture them and, 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 and make them desirable to you. You see, these are not lists of do's and don'ts here that we have in these verses between 19 and 24. They are evidences of what controls your heart. If your heart is controlled by the Spirit of God, then you will grow in the character pictured here in verses 22 to 23. But if your heart is controlled by the flesh, then you will continue in the characters pictured and painted in verses 19 to 21. I have intentionally stayed away from, from going into these lists and, and pulling them apart and describing what each word means in detail because I don't want to make lists. I don't want to give you boxes to tick. I'm sure we can do that another time. I'm sure you can do that in your small groups. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, the picture that it creates in your life. But we'll make this observation about why Paul calls this character picture that's produced these, these fruit of the Spirit, uh, fruit of the Spirit. There's no. The first thing you, you kind of need to note is there's no S on the word. Everyone talks fruits of the Spirit. That, that S is not there. It's not there in the Greek, it's not there in the Latin, it's not there in the English, it's never there. It's just not there. This is a list of character traits in verses 22 to 23 are a collective whole. They are the fruit of the spirit. They're not individual fruits that you go, oh, that one's mine and that one's mine. No, they're a collective whole. It's kind of like holding a diamond up and looking at it through the different facets, all the different angles to the one object of beauty. If you are walking in the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, which is integrity, gentleness, which is probably better translated humility, self-control will all grow as a unified whole in you. It's not like gifts. Oh, my fruit is joy. No, you walk in the spirit, you grow in this picture of a character. You might lag in some a little, but not not by a great distance. They should all be growing. That's what's inevitable. You will grow in these things because fundamentally it's a picture, a character picture of Jesus. And the Spirit is making much of Jesus by saying, become more like Him in your life. A further observation of this metaphor of fruit, uh, of why growth of the Christian life is described as a fruit is because growth is, is, is gradual. Uh, it's inevitable and it's internal. Growth is gradual. It's very rarely felt. Uh, you do not wake up each morning and, and, and measure your increased holiness. You get out of bed and go, today, yes, yes, today I feel 5% more holy than I did yesterday. And you just text a mark in the little thing, whatever you've got beside your bed. If anything, you wake up to the war. And I'm talking about your marriages. No, you wake up to the war. Oh my goodness. You wake up to the war, the conflict. Immediately you know conflict listens. And you wonder if you're growing at all. Patience is needed when it comes to growth. Patience is needed when it comes to growing fruit, is it not? Don't be discouraged by the setbacks and, and the slip-ups. Don't be discouraged. Don't, don't beat up on yourself. Like self-loathing uh, is not a fertiliser of growth. Self, self-loathing is actually a denial of the gospel. So I'll punish myself so Jesus knows how, how serious I am about how bad I feel. John Newton said this, John Newton wrote the song Amazing Grace. He said, I am not what I want to be. And I am not what I ought to be. I am not what one day I will be. But I am not what I was. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Fruit grows slowly, but it does grow. It's inevitable if you are led by the Spirit, if you walk by the Spirit reality of the Christian life, you will grow. That's, that, that, that's Paul's whole point. Led by the Spirit, you will change. There is simply no such thing as a Christian who stays the same. If you've been a Christian 20 years and nothing's changed in you, guess what? You're not a Christian. Fruit represents or is the evidence of internal change. This is another thing about this metaphor not external activity. Fruit emerges out of you. It's not attached to you. You don't stick fruit on. It grows out. It's internally, it's the evidence of internal change. In works, we grow ourselves by the activity around us, external to us. And this is very dangerous because it it masks the fact that we're internally dead or potentially internally dead. You know what? You could be changing hundreds of lives around you. If the lives of people are being changed through you, but your life is not being changed, you're just building stuff without actually examining what's going on inside. Not checking for change, you, you're in trouble. You, you might be the legalist. You're leading a Bible study group, serving on the leadership, preaching up the front. People are changing because of you, but but there's nothing. Internal, it's all external. That's not fruit. That's stuff you're attaching to you. Fruit grows from within. Fruit is the internal growth that no one sees really until trial or pressure or or, or suffering. And we've spoken about what suffering looks like. comes. And then when that comes, out pours the character of Christ. And that's that's when you see the fruit. Paul finishes this passage off with another statement of reality, another promise of inevitability. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is Paul reminding the Christians that they are not a passive gardener, just sitting back and watching the fruit grow. They are actively cultivating the environment of their heart to allow the Spirit to continue to grow them in grace. The Christian does not simply say no to stuff. That is a form of works whereby your own self will you grind out a moral life. Paul would say that actually leaves you alienated from Jesus and not connected to him. But rather, what the Christian does is we say yes to what Jesus has done on our behalf. To crucify the flesh is to hold it up against the work of the cross and ask the question, does it love me? Does the work of the flesh love me as much as this? Will it save me as much as what the cross has saved me? Will it deliver the same kind of hope that the cross has delivered? Will this experience, this achievement or this environment of the over-desire be the kind of saviour who loves me and dies for me? Would it? Will it die for you or will it enslave you? This is the very simple picture that Paul is painting in this passage is that the Christian says yes to the Spirit and makes much of Jesus and what he has done and what he is doing for us. You grow in the Christian life not by saying no but by saying yes. That's the nature of gospel growth. It's about saying yes to Jesus. Lead me back to that cross where I lay down the things that want to enslave me. And I once again ask, I time and time again ask for the power of the Spirit to hold me, to grow me, to nurture me in this war that I produce fruit. Let's pray. Hey Lord, we will struggle. We will fight all the days of our life. Christianity is not, um, it's not some kind of escapist passivity. We, we will struggle. However, if we keep in step with the Spirit, if we live by the Spirit, if we say yes to the Spirit, slowly, inevitably, we will grow, we will bear fruit, we will make much of you in our lives to the glory of God and to our deep joy. Amen.